0: Hi there, and welcome. Just like last week and the week before, we're gonna be looking through the Bible to talk about God. But have you ever wondered, like, why do we talk about God? Does it even matter? Well, as it turns out, it really does matter. Today, we're gonna be looking at the relationship between who we believe God to be and how that affects how we behave in society. We're in part three of a series called Passion Friday. The reason we're calling it that is because every story we're talking about happened on the Friday before Jesus died on the cross. Today, we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to the very end of that chapter. So let's begin. Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter, that's one of Jesus' disciples, followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. All right, let's just set the scene so we're all on the same page. In the last few verses, Jesus was arrested in the garden. Since the people who arrested Jesus were the religious rulers of Israel, they had to take him to a proper trial. But that's not where they take Jesus. They didn't take him to a courthouse, instead, they took him to the high priest's house. So, right off the bat, we know something's not right. Jesus is taken to the high priest's house instead of a courthouse. In other words, this is done in private, and Jesus is about to not get a fair trial. And we also learn that of the 12 disciples, the only one that's in the vicinity of where Jesus is right now is Peter, the oldest disciple. Keep in mind, a few chapters ago, Peter told Jesus that he's going to stick with him to the death. But there's something in his mind that's causing him to compromise on that promise, and we're going to find out in a few verses. A servant girl saw him seated there in a firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. Okay, there's something that's really interesting that's happening here culturally. Here, it's a servant girl that makes the accusation that Peter was with Jesus. But back then, women's testimony had little to no weight. And not only that, it says that this girl was a servant. So her testimony had even less weight than that. So all Peter had to do was just ignore her. But there's something inside of him, I don't know, maybe guilt, that, that prompted him to respond to her. All right, let's keep reading. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Now, Galilee is in the northern part of Israel, and they had a special dialect and an accent. So, as Peter is denying knowing Jesus at this point, everybody's like, I recognize that dialect. You're from Galilee. You must be with Jesus. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Apparently in this setting, Peter and Jesus could see each other. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord spoke to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now remember the details of this story because we're gonna come back to it because this is very important what just happened. Let's keep reading. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him they blindfolded him and demanded prophecy who hit you and they said many other insulting things to him now here's an interesting tidbit about the way that luke tells this story this scene where jesus is blindfolded and beat down and and mocked and ridiculed happened in plain sight of peter so peter's watching this happen all right let's go on at daybreak the council of the elders of the people both the chief priests and the teachers of the law they're called the sanhedrin by the way met together jesus was led before them if you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. That's Jesus' way of saying, this whole thing is rigged, so I don't even know why we're having this trial. We all know the outcome of this. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated on the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you the Son of God? He replied, well, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips." All right, so today we're going to be talking about two people, Peter, and the second person is, well, a group of people called the Sanhedrin. But first, a little cultural context. For a long time, people in Israel have been waiting for this character called the Messiah to show up. Messiah is a Hebrew word which translates to Christ in our language. It means the anointed one. Well, what's this anointed one? Well, back in the day, when somebody became king, they would take some oil and then they would anoint or pour the oil on the person's head in a circular motion depicting like a little crown. So in many cases, the anointed one or Messiah or Christ often meant king. And in some other cases, it also meant priest. Now in the Old Testament, there are some verses that are sprinkled throughout that describes what the Messiah is so that people could recognize him. But there's nothing there that's in great detail. So naturally, a lot of people came up with their own version of what the Messiah is gonna be. So let's just say I have a few minutes to interview Peter and I asked him, who do you think God is? What is he like? And if he were to send a Messiah, what would he look like? My guess is that he would say something like this. Well, the Messiah is going to be like, like somebody from the book of Judges. You see, because in the book of Judges, there is these outside people who have occupied their land. And so God raised up the military leader called Judges to cast them out. So God raised a coward like Gideon into a leader and this leader, raised an army of 300 and chased out the Midianites. You see, for Peter, the reality was that he was raised in a nation called Israel that was occupied by the Romans. And he knew that it would take someone like the Messiah, a God's chosen one, to to chase out these these bullies out of their own towns. So Peter's view was quite common in the first century. People believed back then that God's gonna send a Messiah who's going to raise an army so that we could fight off the Romans out of our land. That's what Peter believed about God. And this is why we find out a few verses ago that Peter was carrying two swords with him because he was expecting a battle. So try to see this story from Peter's view. He expected Jesus to be a militant leader. So if Jesus gets captured by the lesser soldiers, the JV of soldiers, how is he supposed to lead a rebellion against the Romans? So as Peter is trying to fulfill his promise of sticking with Jesus to the end, he's following him wondering, Is this really the messiah am i going to lay my life down for somebody that might not be the messiah at all you see this is why peter denies jesus three times his belief that god was a militant god was in contradiction to what he was seeing in front of him and that's why he was considering leaving jesus but the little detail at the end was really interesting just as peter denied jesus three times One of Jesus' predictions comes true. So Peter's thinking, he's not the real deal. He's not the real deal. And then one of Jesus' predictions come true and he's like, wait a minute, he might be the real deal. So there's this tension inside of his head. He doesn't know exactly how to process what just happened. Then we have the Sanhedrin. There's about 70 plus people in this council that basically make rules and makes decisions on behalf of Israel. Now, if I had the chance to sit down for a few minutes and interview these guys, I would ask the same question. Who do you believe God is and what kind of Messiah would he send? Now, my guess is that they'll say something like this. Oh, we believe that the best story in the Bible is the story of King David. He's the best king that we ever had. And you know what? In the same way that, that, that David swung his, his sling and threw it at Goliath and took out the Philistines, In the same way, God's going to raise up a Messiah in our midst that's going to take care of the Romans. And then maybe another person in the council will say, Oh no, my favorite story in the Bible is the story of Moses. Because what the Romans are doing to us is exactly what Pharaoh did to the Israelites in the Old Testament. And you know what he did? He sent out plagues that didn't affect us, but only affected the bad guys. So the Sanhedrin, they they believed that the Messiah was going to be someone like King David or like Moses. But Jesus is nothing like those two characters, at least in their eyes, because when Jesus casts judgment, it's not against the Romans. It's not against the tax collectors. It's not against a prostitute. It's against their own people. It's, it's against the religious order of Israel. So they're thinking, this can't be the Messiah, because the Messiah would, would would act in favor of us, not against us. And to make things a little more complicated, there's something else that's been happening in history at that time. As it turns out, there are a lot of false messiahs that came to prominence in that time in history. And these quote-unquote messiahs, they would have gatherings and protests, and sometimes they'll burn things down to make a point. And every time these insurrections would happen, the Romans, well, they'll basically take down the leader of that group, and then the movement kind of stops. But that's not all. They also tighten their grip on the Jewish community just to teach them a lesson. So the Sanhedrin, they're trying really hard to make sure that these false messiahs don't gain prominence, because if they did, then the, the grip that, that the Romans had on them might get tighter and they might lose a little more of their rights as a worshiping community. So the point I'm trying to make here is that both Peter and the Sanhedrin, they were both doing what they thought was right according to who they believed God was. In other words, who you believe God to be really, really matters. Now, it's easy for us to listen to these stories and cross our arms and say, those guys, if they knew what we knew, then, then we could have spared them a lot of pain. I mean, these guys, they contributed to the murder of the Son of God. It's a good thing we're not doing anything like that. But I wouldn't be so quick to judge them without first looking in the mirror. You see, it's not so black and white. It's not that clear. Because technically, what Peter and the Sanhedrin believed about God were true. It just wasn't his prominent characteristic. So for example, taking examples from today's Christianity, I know a lot of people who believe that God is a wish granter that we pray for something and God will give it to you. And it is true, yes, that is true. Sometimes God gives us things that we pray for, but that's not his primary characteristic. But what happens if we do make that his primary characteristic? Well, you probably heard people say, I pray for this a million times and he didn't give it to me, so God must not be real. I know so many people who've given up on Christianity because they didn't get what they asked for. But when we look through the scriptures, what we discover is that God is more interested in transforming us. So we start praying for the things that God wants us to pray for, and then give us the things that our hearts desire. What you believe about God affects the way you pray. Maybe for some of us, we believe that God is some divine police officer just waiting for us to make a mistake so he could judge us right there and then. And these people, they often equate Christianity with following a bunch of rules because that's what they believe about God. So they live their lives and their faith every single day with a lot of fear, walking on eggshells because they're afraid of the condemnation that might come with God judging them. And there's a little truth to that. The Bible does talk about God watching over us, but the Bible doesn't say, that he's doing that so that he can say, aha, I caught you doing something bad. Rather, it says that God wants to help us escape the cycles of destructions in our lives. So he wants to transform us, make us into people who overcome these bad behaviors. If you believe that our God is a God that likes to bless America, and that anybody who comes against this nation is an enemy of God, and you believe that that is his prominent feature, that this is who God is, then our behavior reflects something very dangerous. We build up walls because we're afraid that the people who come into this country might taint our culture or make us weaker as a nation. Or when God does bless his country with a lot of resources, we tend to hoard them because hoarding those resources makes us into a stronger nation. Or perhaps you believe that God's primary characteristic is to bless the institution of the church. And yes, God wants to bless the church, but that's not his primary function. God wants to raise up the church to become reflectors of him He wants us to be his hands and feet. And if we are to become good representatives of God, then we have to pay attention to the fact that Jesus spent most of his time giving himself away rather than trying to make himself stronger. The church is a group of people who are willing to sacrifice their own comfort, their own rights for the sake of blessing the people who need it. But I've also heard people make this argument that Jesus is the king, he's the Messiah, and therefore he's royalty. And if we are an extension of that royal king, then we must be also royalty. And and yes, that's true. But keep in mind that Jesus redefined what it means to be a king. One of the first Christian leaders of the first century, his name is Paul the Apostle. If I were to sit down and had an interview with him and asked him, who do you think God is like? And what kind of Messiah do you think he would send? This is what he would say. This is from Philippians chapter 2. He says that, Jesus, the Messiah, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus is God, okay, but he doesn't use the God card on anybody. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul is saying this, as I understand it, the most important characteristic of God is that he is a humble servant. And then he says this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So let me summarize that. He basically says that the way that Jesus became the the high and exalted King is through being a servant. Jesus lowering himself and humbling and caring for other people sacrificially is what got him the high and exalted seat on the throne. So as the church we're supposed to mimic the humble servant Jesus. So Paul is saying in the way we treat each other and the way we live our lives never ever use the royalty card because Jesus didn't use it. He humbled himself down to the level of a servant and even died on a cross. And now that he lived that life, he is now exalted in the highest place. So as Christians, we don't live our lives as if we're better than other people. We live our lives humbly and servingly, taking care of the people around us. So at all times, as Christians, we have to keep asking ourselves, how can we serve the world? How can we serve our neighborhood? How can we serve our community? And if the best way to serve our community is by keeping our doors closed so we don't have physical gatherings so that we don't get more people infected, then that's what we're gonna do. If doctors tell us that we have to wear masks every time we go out, that's what we're gonna do because we are servants. If the government temporarily suspends our right to gather and worship together inside of a building, uh, we're gonna do that because that's what a servant would do. And when it comes to casting a vote, as Christians, we're supposed to vote according to what might help our neighbors, not just ourselves. Why? Because that's who we believe God to be. So who we believe God to be, what his primary characteristic is, It really matters because it changes the way we vote, it changes the way we spend our money, and it affects the way we treat the people around us. And if you've read the Bible, you'll know that his primary characteristic is that he is love. So church, may the Father continue to reveal to us who he is and how he loves the world. And may the Holy Spirit continue to transform us from the inside out, so we become more and more the people that reflects God's goodness. And may we all experience heaven together. God bless.